I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, looking out on a very windy day at Newport Beach. As I look out the window, palm trees, they can uh, sway very far without breaking, uh, which has nothing to do with what we're going to discuss today with my colleague and good friend, Mr. James Andrews. Trevor, thank you for having me back on the podcast. Look forward to sharing this. Any of your friends call you Andrew James? Um, no friends, but um, obviously we talk to a lot of new people in our job. And uh, about once a week, someone will call me Andrew almost repeatedly. I can bank on it. We have quite a few of those people here at the Monster Group. Uh, I do a lot of work with Matt Gregory, and he's oh often goodness. called Gregory. <laughs> yeah. Somebody called Blaine Carver, Carver, the other yeah. day. So maybe it has something to do with seeing the email or something. I don't know. And I think when the email for Outlook, I know, they do last name and then first name. So it's mm. Andrews, James, and people reading through that just think, oh, it's Andrew James. I've tried to reach out to Outlook, and there's no get you, around it. You would reach out to Outlook. <laughs> yeah, I would. So your father, he had a unique career. He had a great career. Uh, he built elevators and escalators. He found that passion early. So he didn't do college. He did trade school. He studied motor uh, systems and went right into it. It was a great career. Uh, he got to fly all over the world, building them in Japan and all over the place. It was a really great career. But uh, he's really good at electrical. He's really good at working with his hands and figuring things out. And uh, as I mentioned in the article, uh, those don't those skills don't always translate well to other home projects. And so it, it led to a fun memory of what I had to work on with my dad on some DIY projects and how that relates to this topic, which we're going to talk about, which is circles of competence. Any scary escalator stories, like people's pants getting caught or anything like that? Oh, my goodness. So many stories. I don't even know if oh, I can- Oh, really? Sh- oh, so many stories. Are they too graphic for the podcast? A little bit. Can you give me a PG one? Um, like, do, can people's pants get caught? Like, I'm, I'm always scared of my kids. Shoelaces. Oh, shoelaces. Or, um, so there's a little fibers that kind of go up the side of the escalator. Mm-hmm. Kids like to put their fingers there to, like, feel the fibers as it goes up and then goes into the track. Um, okay, so we'll stop it right we'll there. We'll stop it right there. Because uh, um, I will and, pass and tru- out. And truthfully, I don't know how much of this my dad embellished <laughs> just to scare me a little bit, but um, so many stories. Yeah, even things. my little three-year-old, so, when we get on escalators, he's like fascinated with it. But I'm like sitting, I'm like, it's like the game of Frogger. I'm like, all right, step now, now, now. Oh, no, now yeah. you missed it. No, don't step now. So it's, uh, it's quite funny. Yeah. So your dad basically had a career where he worked with his hands on these intricate machines. Yeah. And what you saw, because you had a front row seat, you're like, hey, that doesn't translate to hanging a painting, right? It might give him some confidence to do some home projects around the house, but maybe you have some funny stories where uh, he got outside of his circle of confidence and the true colors were shown. Yeah, exactly. So we bought our house a few years back and it's it's a nice house, but it's got some things that need to be fixed. And so... My dad, very excited to work with me, some bonding moments, but also to work on the house and do some projects. One of those, as I'll mention in the article, is stringing lights in the backyard. It's very simple. got some bistro lights, attach it to the roof line, put a stick in the ground, and and you're done. So we thought it was like one or two hour project. Um, Turns out it took us over nine hours. Uh, We had three trips to Home Depot, and it still wasn't really perfect. It was kind of just the best we could do, considering it was now sunset, and we both had kind of given up. And so... It was this funny realization that something so simple 
like stringing lights in a backyard could be so hard for someone who's so capable. And so it was a theory that, you know, the understanding that, you know, just because you're really good in one thing doesn't always mean that that translates well to the other thing. And kind of knowing those boundaries can save you a whole lot of heartache in the process. I feel like there needs to be, which there probably is, some very good YouTube videos on hanging cafe lights. Because I did it with my father-in-law, who is very competent in this area. And we did a first round and then realized these things are going to fall over. So we had to go back and get some, some barrels, uh, whiskey barrels, and then add a bunch of rocks. And then like it, it evolved and it was actually cool looking when we were all done. But from first iteration to the yeah. nine hours later, like you said. So yeah, I probably should have gone on the internet and uh, learned how to do that first. So, But what you're painting a picture for us today is this idea that there is a circle of competency. So whether you are a surgeon or whether you work on escalators, there is something that's in your lane, something you're comfortable with. Uh, in, in, in the world today, you can be very niche and have a particular lane that you're in. But the problem that you see, I, I'm guessing this is what you mean, is when it comes to investing, people kind of step outside of their comfortability, their competency with maybe some hubris and some confidence that the application being a stats teacher in high school would mm-hmm. apply to analyzing a balance sheet when it comes to investing. Yeah, exactly. So the circle of competence, I was turned on to it again by Warren Buffett, who I've mentioned a few times. He's just an idol of mine. But he mentions this a while ago in one of his shareholder letters when he talks about investors trying to find businesses that they should invest in, right? He says the word selected businesses. So find the businesses that you you know, you understand, you can really wrap your arms around it and just focus on those and don't focus on the other ones. And so what he paints for us is there's really, if you think about it, there's two circles. There's a small circle, which is the things that you really know. For my dad, it's building elevators and escalators. And then there's the larger circle that kind of encompasses that, which is the things you think you know, the things that you think, okay, well, if I can do this, then surely I can do that. And that's more often than not where we find ourselves getting into trouble. And so it obviously applies to DIY projects. I was working on my trailer this morning. It applies to the trailer, uh, but it really applies to investing and wealth management as well, just in the sense that information is so easily accessible. And um, it's so quick to understand maybe core concepts. And so folks think that they have a pretty good grasp of things quickly because, like you said, they had a background in math or whatever that might be. And they get into the gray area of the things that they think they know, but they might not have a full understanding of. I feel like during that COVID moment, call it the summer of 2020, where people were spending a lot more time at home and they were downloading applications where they could buy stocks online. Mm-hmm. I was getting a lot of screenshots, success stories, and then people tagging onto that. Oh, I, I did so good in this trade, right? Whatever they bought, cruise ships, airlines, whatnot, because I knew X was going to happen. And I was like, there's an extra level of confidence there that it can apply when you're joking around with $100. But as you try to do that at a more meaningful level, like you use the word wealth management or financial planning, the application doesn't stay true. So I was trying to help some friends understand the difference between investing and gambling. Yeah, it's a common one. And there's an analogy that was given to me a while back that I liked when you think about finances and the decisions that a person can make on their own versus, hey, maybe this is something I should 
outsourced to your professional. And it really is a gauge on the, the, um, the cost of being wrong. So an example is, say I, I scrape my, my knee, right? It's, it's an easy fix. I can go to WebMD and realize, okay, elevate the knee, apply pressure, I'll be fine, right? The cost of being wrong is low, just a little bit of pain. If I were to cut an artery, it's a little different, right? Suddenly the cost of being wrong, of getting the wrong information can be a whole lot more disastrous. And so understanding, you know, playing around with a hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars isn't going to move the needle for many people. And that's probably fine. But understanding that at some point, the cost of being wrong is very high and you need to take a second look at whether or not this is the world you want to really live in and understand. And we use that language as planners, right? We, we can focus in on a particular thing and say, this particular decision won't make or break the financial plan. So you do get some freedom within the framework sometimes. Yeah, you do. And it's, <clears throat> it's, it's fun to watch because we all have a circle of competence, right? An area that we're really good at. And so part of just being human is one, excelling at those things, which is usually our career, right? Finding things that we're really good at and making a living doing that and growing it over time, right? Learning new tracks learning new trades, learning new tricks, talking to new people. And so to one extent, it's great to try new things and expand that circle of competence, um, but always understanding the boundaries of when this gets into danger territory is, is a really big deal. And when you say danger territory, you're alluding to what you just told us about, this idea when the cost of making a mistake becomes too detrimental for somebody to bear. Yeah, exactly. And so there's, you get yourself into, we'll, we'll get to it later called kind of the blind spots and the unforced errors that can occur that I talk about later in the, um, in the article. But one area I want to talk about before we get on that rabbit trail is just the sense of <clears throat> circles of competence and the sense of building wealth. So we, we have a great spot in the world in that we get to see a lot of families who build wealth in a variety of ways. But there's a really consistent story across the arc of different careers, which is all of these folks have spent a considerable amount of time developing a craft that they then can charge a premium for in the marketplace to build their wealth, right? The attorney has the biggest impact on his retirement by closing deals or whatever his field of craft is and not necessarily spending in other areas that he isn't an expert in. And so understanding from a, from a position of, Hey, how do I build my wealth? How do I get ready for retirement? Like, how do I make the most of the time that I had? Maybe I have 15 years left before I retire. How do I get, how do I get from A to B quickest? For many people, it's understanding what you're good at is the best path to charging a premium to growing that from there. Yeah. One thing I've noticed, I think it's in line with what you're talking about, but if we do a broad category of of people that are successful, right? Really broad term. I've noticed something that they have in common. A lot of them are, are pretty good at delegating. Yeah. Now, again, you're probably thinking of somebody right now that's not good at delegating, but I, I, I would challenge you that maybe they are if you look under the hood a little bit more. And this is what I mean, is people start to realize in whatever craft they're in, the, the word you used, like what lever can I pull to, to maximize my opportunity here? And what things could I give to somebody else so that I can come back and continue to pull this lever. I am somebody who really likes to look for patterns. 
So when I look back at my career paths and different places I've been and things that I've done, I always tried to find where's the pattern that if you press that button, you get some level of success and how could I continue to press that button continually and take other things off my plate? Does that make sense? Have you seen that pattern before? Yeah, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in friends' lives. And there's a couple examples I want to share, but just since we're talking, I'm curious as you think about the levers in your life that have really made the most meaningful difference. Can you share a few of those, what those were for you? Yeah, so they'd be hard to share because I'm trying to think of the specifics. I think yeah. even working at the Bonson Group, I might be revealing too much, but you know, <laughs> I work alongside a gentleman named Darren Lightfoot, and I couldn't imagine not working alongside him hmm. because when we first started working together, we learned each other's rhythms and how the work happened, and then he started to pick up on a lot of the things that I did, the patterns, right? And he started to take things off of my plate. And then I could focus on other things, which was huge because a lot of what we do, I don't know the right word if the word is like administrative, but there's mm. a lot of I's to dot and, and T's to cross and things like that. And you start to realize the most meaningful time, again, maybe revealing too much, but may, the most meaningful time is time with clients. Yeah. Time to have dialogue, conversation, have the freedom when something comes up to pick up the phone and just talk to them at that moment. So if somebody can come alongside of you and take off some of those administrative things that are extremely important, right? So it has to be a trustworthy person that I trust that, yeah. that can basically dot those I's and cross those T's. What does it open my time to dialogue with clients? And that is where my passion is. And that's where I would love to spend time. And one thing that I've always prioritized, hopefully clients notice this, but I've always prioritized getting back to them quickly. Hmm. And it probably comes from my own anxiety is that you know, I purchased some vents for my house, right? Construction project and little things we're doing at our house. And I, I bought it from this online retailer. And they've been really good when I email, like getting back to me within like the hour. Hmm. And that's huge to me because things can go wrong. Mistakes can happen. But when you can't get a hold of somebody, it's like, bah. Yeah, it's so frustrating. So I know that we live in the world of finances and that can cause a lot of stress and anxiety. So the ability to get back to somebody within like 20 minutes is a passion of mine. And it's something that uh, overseeing the advisors, I'm encouraging them. I really think this is an easy differentiator, like clear as much as you can off your plate so that you can be available and get back to people quickly when they need you. Cause I feel like that's what we're here for. Yeah, I agree. I think the term I've heard described that is like operating at the top of your license, which is finding the thing that you do really well and just focusing on that. So for us as advisors, most of the time that's communicating with clients and talking to people, not necessarily custodian forms and paperwork. We're, I'm not great at that. And if I were to do that, it would be slow and cumbersome. But I enjoy talking with the people. It brings you know happiness to me and it's something I, I can be good at at times. And so understanding to your point, how where is it that I excel? Where is it that I find the most joy in doing my craft and starting with that? Um, there's an, there's a, a friend I have who's a realtor up in Santa Barbara who's really good at this in the sense that he is understanding two things. He understands, A, what he's really good at, and B, the things that he's not as good at, but take him so long to do that it slows him down. And so he aggressively outsources anything that would distract him from closing the next sale. And it's incredibly effective to watch how quickly he has grown as one of the top realtors because he's so focused on outsourcing the things that hold him back and focusing on the things that he does really well and that bring him joy. 
right? And so this idea that the circle of competence or focusing in on what is your best skill is by and large the biggest contributor or attribution to retirement. Um, we meet with a lot of families who ask a lot of questions about the stock allocation and this and that and really get into the weeds, which is a good exercise to do on average. But it, it kind of distracts from the big point, which is, look, if you want to retire soon, like the biggest thing is for you to go earn more money for a lot of people and find a way to do that. And so just understanding the difference between this is how I drive wealth. This is how I create an estate. It's I think it's just a really helpful piece of information for folks to be reminded of. It seems like, too, it's birthed out of the soil of humility. And I'm not talking about false humility. Like Warren Buffett, as you mentioned earlier, he might say this because he has a lot of like little folky things he says. But when he comes across something that's outside of his circle of competence, what does he typically say? Oh, I just toss it in the too hard pile. Yeah. Right? He's not trying to act like an intellectual. He's basically telling you, I think that's too difficult. It's not really too difficult for him. But he is identifying this is outside of what I normally do. So I am not going to distract myself. I'm just going to kind of set that to the side. So in the same vein of what you're talking about is folks that know, hey, I'm really, really good at this. How can I surround myself with great people that are really good at the things that I'm not so good at? Yeah, exactly. So the flip side of that coin, right? So if the building of wealth is the focusing on the things that you're really good at, then the protecting of wealth is the outsourcing of the things that maybe aren't in your circle of competence, the things that can take away your time. Uh, I have a personal example that happened really just this week. So as we talked about before the podcast, I'm leaving for a family vacation. We're doing some beach camping uh, down south a few hours. So I'm getting the trailer ready. The trailer is not quite ready. It's got some work that needs to be done. Um, One of the things is the electrical. The battery can, I just can't get it to work. And I put in hours of YouTube videos and trial and error. And I'm like, man, this just isn't working. I don't know what to do. And I was like, I need to figure this out. And so I just kept hitting my head against it until one day I just caved. I took it to an RV shop and uh, I kid you not, in 20 minutes, it was fixed. He taught me the problem. He gave me spare parts and he sent me on my way. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I spent $60 in 20 minutes and could have saved myself hours of heartache by just acknowledging that maybe I should just go get help for this one small thing. And so it's true in the small things, right? You know, a battery for, you know, a trailer, it's true for wealth management in a lot of ways. Um, It's true for a lot of parts of our life is understanding, okay, where does my circle of competence, where does my really core competency end? And I get into the realm of the things I'm not so sure about and is it better just to outsource that? And so this isn't really an advocation, you know, hire an advisor. That's not the intent. This is more uh, me advocating for people taking a step back and saying, how can I get the most out of my weekend? Should I be doing this project? Should I outsource it? Should I be learning this craft? And should I just let someone else do that? And there's even something you're saying there that it's not like ignorance is bliss. Like you're not telling people to opt out of asking questions, right? Mm-hmm. That's an amazing area for you to grow, to be able to ask good questions outside your circle competence, and then to be able to learn people, right? Because a lot of this is about if you're searching for a team that is going to support you, much like the person that helped you at the RV shop, you're trying to look through these filters of, is the person on the other end of me trustworthy, right? So that I can ask good questions. I can learn about them. I, I remember I was watching a TV show the other day and they were playing poker and the, the main character joked around. He's like, never, never play the game, play the man, right? And he was talking about how 
reacting to the other person, you know, and understanding what makes them tick. So it seems like that would be a great place to invest is how do people work? And how do I go about asking the right questions to find the person that's trustworthy so that I can delegate this and therefore get back to that? Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's focusing your time. Um, it, it's obviously there's an ROI from um, a wealth standpoint and investments. There's also a return on investment just from peace of mind, having the time to do other things. And so I think about my time. I think about what I spend it on. And uh, I hold the, the hours that I spend with my kids on the weekend, like that time is really precious because I know my, my boys are young. This is a very temporary season of life. And so I, I want to enjoy it. And so if I'm spending two plus hours hitting my head against the wall on something like the ROI on that just isn't great. And so understanding, okay, like this is the time for me to tap out and back out. Um, but if I think about wealth management, right, that knowing that the people who are listening to this are thinking, how do I apply this? Um, where, where do I take this from here? So one thing I see a lot that I've mentioned, I think a few times in this podcast is the, the phrase of unforced errors. And so these are, these are situations where someone makes a decision on their finances through whatever technique they're trying to do or timing the market, whatever that might, they're making whatever that might be. So they're making a decision. Um, and that decision is them inserting themselves in a process that may or may not be their field of competence. And those unforced errors more often than not do more harm than good, just for the fact that they're just not really qualified to be doing what they're trying to do. And so understanding that when you're inserting yourself in a process and you're, and you're bringing the risk of unforced errors, and I can give some examples if we want to go down the route, that, that rabbit trail, but it, it's helpful to understand that, hey, maybe this is where I stop and someone else starts. I like how you described in the article when we talked about unforced errors, because you're saying the market can cause errors. There's things that can happen. There's yeah. things that cannot go your way, but it's the things where you take on more than you should have. And then that is the unforced error that it wasn't the environment. It was you, you know, like some, somebody's golfing like, Oh, this club. And we're like, eh, I don't know if it's the equipment <laughs> or the user. Yeah, exactly. And so you have to think about like, okay, well, I want to do, I want to focus on what I'm good at. I want to avoid what I'm not good at. I want to avoid the unforced errors. So how do I figure this out? And so one thing that I think about, if I tag unforced errors to just kind of how we expose these blind spots in general, how we take this, one example I'll give is diversifying your research or diversifying how you consume information. So we understand that in the world we live in, there's computer algorithms that track what you like and give you more contact, content that encourages that worldview. And we have news sources who may or may not have their own perspective on events. And so you can find yourself in a spot where you're consuming information that is confirming something that you want to believe it might not be true. So one quick example is I had a client who was consuming a very select um, version of news sources that was really dictating how he invested. He ended up taking the, taking most of the market downturn on the chin last year and then October decided he'd had enough. The news said he needed to get out. And so he, he backed out of the equities. October had a rally in the international markets. He missed it. More pain happens. January, the news cycle says he really need to get out. So he backs out some more. We've had a decent rally up to this point in the general market. Missed out on that. And then the news sources tell him again, hey, you should jump in at the end of summer. This is the time to invest. And we had a little bit of a dip. And so not to say that market timing is, is good or bad, but it highlighted 
that the news he was consuming wasn't diverse enough and was pushing a narrative and he kept finding himself making errors and buying high, selling low and just running into walls that he didn't need to run into. One of my friends who's also a client, he makes a joke all the time that when he chooses to add money to the portfolio, that things usually go down. So <laughs> he uses his first name. We'll just call him Bob. That's not his name, but he calls it the Bob indicator. He's like, if I'm buying Trevor, you should be selling. Uh, and it's just a, a funny joke and makes it lighthearted. But yeah, diversify your, your research is so important these days because if you find yourself Google searching cryptocurrency, all of a sudden everywhere you go, you're going to get ads about crypto and um, affirmations. I forget the, is it Murphy's Law? No, it's not Murphy's Law. That's whatever the one is where like when you want to get a certain car and then you're on the road and you just can't stop seeing that car. So it's just, I guess, the way that our brains work. So that was kind of your first part of blind spots. Second one, maybe you could tell us about understand your boundaries. Yeah, understanding the boundaries. So if we think about circles of competence and and we want to expand it, right? The goal is to have a broader understanding of how the world works. Um, So for me, right, I, I know that my job is to give advice to families. And so I'm very sensitive to my own blind spots, my own research indicators, and my own core competence. And so one thing I do with expand, with understanding my boundaries is I, is I try to teach whatever principle I'm about to implement to my wife. And my wife has zero interest in finance. She doesn't understand it, but she's a smart individual. And so if I can explain it to her and all the different nuances, there's a good indication that I've mastered the concept to a certain degree. And so using, you know, teaching others or, you know, can explain it to a fifth grader is a really helpful rubric for making sure you understand, do I really understand the core principles here? Or am I just reading a news article and going off of whatever they say? You read a lot from Shane Parrish. He has a way to describe that. I forgot what it is, but it's almost like the other side of simplicity, meaning like, uh, you could be so simple because you don't understand something, then it gets really complex. But the other side of that complexity is when you can convert it to something simple mm-hmm. by reteaching it. So uh, it makes sense. As a Sunday school teacher, I'm constantly thinking about it, like these deep theological topics. How do I deliver this to a five-year-old? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a fun challenge and uh, a fun thing to ask questions about. So yeah. the last one you put on there was the time buffer on decisions, which... I really like it. I'm going to let you introduce it. And then I'm going to tell you how I applied that when I was a youth leader for uh, high schoolers. Go ahead. Sounds good. So the last one I provided that I offered was time buffer on decisions. Um, I aggressively avoid providing immediate advice, like at all costs. If someone says, hey, they call in with a question and they want an answer that day, I'm really uncomfortable because a lot of times it takes me a good few days to really think about a topic from all aspects and really get comfortable with it. And so my rule of thumb is that I don't give advice for at least a week unless, you know, deadlines dictate I need something. And if the consequence of the advice is large, I will wait as long as I can, just because I know that the more I marinate on something, the better clarity I have. And it really helps avoid blind spots. It seems like something inside of human beings <clears throat> wants to make something more urgent than it needs to be for some reason. I don't know why. What I was going to tell you is when I was uh, overseeing, not overseeing, I was a leader in a youth group for high schoolers. I always gave this piece of advice because everybody wants a tattoo. So I said, okay, have, some, have the artist draw the tattoo up, put it in your sock drawer, and then just commit to take it out one year later and see if you still want it. Because what you're really doing is you're going to put something on your body for the rest of your life. 
So does it really matter if you wait one year to put something on your body for the rest of your life? But it's a really good idea. In my opinion, it's a good idea because what happens if your opinion changes a year later? You saved yourself a lot of headache by trying to take something off your body that you decided to put on your body for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's true. I mean, what I think I ended with the article on this one, but what is done cannot always be undone, right? Taxes have to be paid. When you buy and sell, it is done. And so really understanding that whatever move you make, whatever decision you're trying to make, there's a finality to that. And there's really no going back in a lot of ways. And so, you, like you said, you want to take it slow, right? I know I get excited. I'm not the most patient person. And so my own bias is to just rush into decisions. And so I have, knowing myself, I have to like put myself on the back burner and say, I'm not allowed to make a decision on this for a long time because left up to me, I will make a decision tomorrow and I will probably regret it. I send emails all the time. And then two minutes later, I'm like, oh, I forgot to put in X, Y, and Z. It happens all the time. And so I, I just, it, it's helpful to slow down. Um, and when I think about just the, the, the topic in general, just because I know we're, we're coming up on time here, circle of competence is really helpful. It'll build your wealth in the way that you want your wealth to be built. It'll usually gear your time to doing the things that you find most enjoyable. So I, I find that I'm more happy in my work life. And it helps you protect from the things that can cause you to derail down the road by focusing or outsourcing, I should say, the things that you're not quite there yet. And then understand that you can build it over time, right? Circles are not set in stone and there's, you know, a lot of life to live and a lot of things to learn, but take it slow, make decisions over a longer period of time. And I think you'd be happy with those results. And what you're not doing today is you're not telling someone to not be curious. We can have curiosities, right? Curiosities, hobbies, interests. We can be inquisitive. What you're saying, and you highlighted a few things here, but hey, urgency can get you in a lot of trouble if it's driven by your emotions and there's no outside factor that really is making something an emergency or, or urgent. So that's one truth. The other thing is measuring what happens if the decision goes wrong or I regret this decision. Those type of things are incredibly important. So I, I really like your article for this idea of, okay, I got to know what lane I'm in. I'm, I'm not prohibited from, from asking questions, being curious, being inquisitive, but I am going to make the own decision for myself that when I make some a decision outside of my competency, right? Like trying to fix mm-hmm. my own garage door where I put my elbow through it and it's bleeding everywhere. <laughs> so um, when I'm going to do something like that, I probably should pause and say, I should have somebody who this is their lane. Because when that toothpaste comes out of the tube, when my elbow's bleeding and I've shattered a window that still isn't fixed, I don't know why it's not getting replaced, I wish I would have done that. And I don't have a time machine at my house. So I regret that decision. And this article really helps me be thoughtful before I step in. Because usually, I remember, I'll give you a quick story. I'm not a good swimmer. I went on a trip with uh, a a group of guys. And they're all friends. And I think we went to Rock Creek or something. I don't remember where we were. But a couple of guys jumped in the water and it was really cold and there was like a pretty strong current and I was about to jump in and one of my friends was like, no. (laughs) And I was like, why? And he's like, because I'm not going to save you. You're not a good swimmer. Like these, this, like walk around. Like if you want to go over here and walk around. And it was funny because it was like on my own, I was ready to just leap in outside of my circle of comfort. Right. And the person that was very comfortable was like, time out. Don't do that. And 
maybe that's what we're here as advisors. So we appreciate you listening to the podcast. We'll encourage you to read the article. Thank you, James, for or Andrew, whatever you want to call You're you. You're welcome. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast today. We we'll ask you to rate the podcast five stars or preferred. If you want to send an email to James or myself, Trevor, very easy way to do it. Tom T O M at thebonsagroup dot com. And of course, we will be back next week with more of our thoughts on money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.